Welcome to the Denver Snuffer Podcast. This is the first part of a special series on adoption, where Denver discusses one of the lost ordinances that must be restored as part of the religion of the fathers. In the, um, in the immediate aftermath of Joseph's death and the completion of the Nauvoo Temple, um, there was a lot of questions that could not, could not then be answered because they simply no longer had the keys with which to get the answers to the questions that were pressing upon them. If they didn't have the ability to ask and get an answer, then they couldn't get direction. And they couldn't. Therefore, what Joseph was doing was left without a culmination. You can go out and there is physical proof in the restored Nauvoo Temple. You can see this on the uh, website uh, where the photograph was taken and put up, uh, bare record, um, where there's a place where the brick size changes in the construction of the Nauvoo Temple. They were making small bricks and you can see how far up the small bricks run on the outside of the temple. When Joseph was killed, in order to complete the temple in greater haste, the size of the bricks increase. And so there's a point at which the size of the bricks go from small to larger when they're hastening the work in which they're trying to get the building done. The level at which the temple had been completed at the time of the martyrdom essentially was a repetition of what had been built in the Kirtland Temple. It is the solemn assembly room, okay? Joseph never lived to tell anyone how to build the top of the Nauvoo Temple. So when they got to the point that they were finishing the Nauvoo Temple, they didn't have any plans for what happened in the attic area other than the rooms around the perimeter in which the priesthood was supposed to meet. And so to create the ceremonial setting in which the Nauvoo Temple endowment companies were taken through, they took canvas that Joseph had ordered for a bowery so they could get it out of the weather, and they took the canvas and they made partitions in the attic area to divide the rooms up in which to present the endowment in the attic of the Kirtland or of the Nauvoo Temple. Had Joseph lived, he would have been able to finish out that space. He didn't live, and so they did it with canvas. They did it as a temporary thing, and they um, they administered the endowments in that setting. In the process of administering those things, there was something that went on that they were trying to imitate what Joseph had been talking about. And Brigham Young makes an explanation shortly after they abandoned. I mean, the same month that they abandoned Nauvoo and they're heading west, uh, he gives a talk in winter quarters in February of 1847. This is the 16th of February. They walked out of town on the 9th. So this is a week later. He's talking about a subject that really defines what the uh, entirety of this topic is really involved with. The Lord introduced the law of adoption for the benefit of the children of men as a schoolmaster to bring them back to the covenant of the priesthood, not as some have supposed to add anything to his glory. This principle, I answer, is not clearly understood by many of the elders in this church at the present time, as it will hereafter. And I confess that I have only had a smattering of these things. 
But when it is necessary, I will attain to more knowledge on this subject and consequently will be entitled to teach and practice more and will, in the meantime, glorify God, the bountiful giver. Um, the rest of that talk's interesting and I would comment on it, but, but we don't have time. So this is on the 16th of February. On the 23rd, another week later, Brigham Young gives another talk. And this talk is, is pointed to, for one purpose, I want to read you a more fulsome account and suggest to you the more important purpose. Okay? This is that great occasion on which Brigham Young went to sleep and had a dream in which Joseph Smith appeared to him. And Joseph Smith, well, let me read you the account. Um, and I'm, and I'm, I'm into the part where he's already introduced that he's dreaming, that he's seen Joseph, and that Joseph is now talking to him. I then discovered there was a handrail between us. Joseph stood by a window in the southwest of him. It was very light. I was in the twilight, and to the north of me, it was very dark. Joseph's in the light. Brigham's in the dark. I said, Brother Joseph, the brethren you know well better than I do. You raised them up and brought the priesthood to us. The brethren have a great anxiety to understand the law of adoption or sealing principles. And if you have a word of counsel for me, I should be glad to receive it. So now of all the things about which Brigham Young could be talking to the prophet Joseph Smith on this occasion, the thing that comes thundering to the foreground that he would like to know about is the law of adoption. He wants to know that, standing as he is in the dark. Joseph stepped toward me and looking very earnestly yet pleasantly said, tell the people to, hum to be humble and faithful. Be sure to keep the spirit of the Lord. It will lead them right. Be careful and not turn away the small voice. It will teach you what to do and where to go. It will yield the fruits of the kingdom. Tell the brethren to keep their hearts open to conviction so that when the Holy Ghost comes to them, their hearts will be ready to receive it. They can tell the spirit of the Lord from all other spirits. It will whisper peace and joy to their souls. It will take malice, hatred, strife, and all evil from their hearts. And their whole desire will be to do good, bring forth righteousness, and build up the kingdom of God. Tell the brethren if they will follow the spirit of the Lord, they will go right. Be sure to tell the people to keep the spirit of the Lord. And if they will, they will find themselves just as they were organized by our Father in heaven before they came into the world. Our Father in heaven organized the human family, but they are all disorganized and in great uh, confusion. Um, and so Joseph's answer to the pressing question of how do we go about getting these ceilings right is to say, Oh, go get the Holy Ghost and let the Holy Ghost guide you. God will get you organized. In other words, Joseph punted on the answer. It would do no good for the answer to be given if the authority with which to administer the answer was something that wasn't there. Therefore, rather than to tell him so that some solemn mockery continued, 
it was time to bring it to an end. And although they made an effort to continue in that vein for a short while, as I pointed out in passing the heavenly gift, everyone talked about they didn't understand it. And in fact, some of the leading brethren said, I didn't believe it when I first heard it, and I don't believe it now. And the practice of adoption came to an end. Okay? But I want to go back for a moment to what we do know from Doctrine and Covenants section 132 that comes from the prophet Joseph Smith. Because that's it. That's the entirety of what we have from him. And in verse 7 of this section 132, it says, I, um, I have appointed on the earth to hold this power, and I have appointed unto my servant Joseph to hold this power in the last days, and there is never but one on the earth at a time on whom this power and the keys of this priesthood are conferred, and so on. There is only one. Only one. So, when we go to Doctrine and Covenants section 107, it talks about the order of this priesthood, I'm reading from verse 40, was confirmed to be handed down from father to son and rightly belongs to the literal descendants of the chosen seed to whom the promises were made. This order was instituted in the days of Adam and it came down by lineage in the following manner. From Adam to Seth, who was ordained by Adam at the age of 69 years and blessed by him three years previous to his, Adam's death and received the promise of God by his father that his posterity should be the chosen of the Lord and that they should be preserved unto the end of the earth. Because he, Seth, was a perfect man and his likeness was the express likeness of his father insomuch that he seemed to be likened to his father in all things and could be distinguished from him only by his age. Enos was ordained at the age of 134 years and four months by the hand of Adam. God called upon Canaan in the wilderness in the 40th year of his age, and he met Adam in his journeying to the place of Shadonamach. He was 87 years old when he received his ordination. Mahaliel was 496 years and seven days when he was ordained by the hand of Adam. Jared was 200 years old when he was ordained under the hand of Adam. Enoch was 25 years old when he was ordained of Adam. Methuselah was 100 years old when he was ordained. Lamech was 32. Noah was 10 when he was ordained under the hand of Methuselah. Three years previous to the death of Adam, he called Seth, Enos, Canaan, Mahaliel, Jared, Enoch, and Methuselah, who were all high priests, with the residue of his posterity who were righteous, into the valley of Adam on Diom, and there bestowed upon them his last blessing, and so on. When you go to the story in Moses chapter 5 and you read about um, Adam and Eve and their posterity, Adam and Eve have children and the children are seduced by uh, Satan and persuaded to be led astray. Then they have a son to whom the birthright was going to be granted because he appeared to be interested in the things of God. 
so much so that he was willing to offer sacrifice. That son, the older one, was named Cain. And the next son born was Abel. But Abel was more attentive to the things of God. Both Cain and Abel offered sacrifices to the Lord. However, the Lord approved the sacrifice of Abel. At this point in the history of man, if that right of priesthood passed from Adam to Abel, it would have displaced Cain. Cain sought for the right whereunto he would be the one to hold that priesthood. He was the one who wanted it. And the first murder that was committed was committed against the one who would inherit the birthright done precisely for the purpose of eliminating the posterity of Abel so that Abel having no posterity could not be the one through whom the birthright would be perpetuated. When Cain sought to take what God had instead appointed his younger brother to receive, Cain was deprived of the right of priesthood and it passed over him and his descendants so that Cain did not obtain the birthright. And Eve conceived and she bore a replacement son and that son Seth became the one through whom the promises would be given. And Cain was driven out from the people. Now you have to understand that this is in Moses chapter 6. Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his own image and called his name Seth. And the days of Adam after he had begotten Seth were 800 years, and he begat many sons and daughters. Adam begat many sons and daughters. But the son named Seth was the one to whom this priesthood went, because there is only one appointed. Seth lived 105 years, and he begat Enos, and prophesied in all his days, and taught his son Enos in the ways of God. Wherefore, Enos prophesied also. And Seth lived after he begat Enos 807 years, and begat many sons and daughters. So Seth begat Enos and many sons and daughters. But the right of the lineage and the priesthood went from Adam to Seth to Enos. This is a description of that priesthood which was briefly restored 
in one person, Joseph, to be given to Hiram because it goes to the oldest righteous descendant. And when it was restored through Joseph Smith, Hiram was not yet qualified. But when Hiram became qualified, by January of 1841, in the revelation given then, Hiram is the one to whom the birthright went, being the eldest and being the one who was qualified. This is why it was necessary for Hiram to die before Joseph so that in this dispensation, Joseph and Hiram can stand at the head. Because if Hiram had not died first, but Joseph had died first. Joseph would have died without having had the passing. Well, notice that Seth had many sons and daughters. And then you get to the next, Enos. He lived um, and begat Canaan. Enos um, also has many sons and daughters, but Canaan was the one upon whom the birthright. And this follows all the way down, all the way down. You can read it in Moses chapter six, how it descends through the line. This pattern repeats over and over again. As I'm talking about this, I'm making reference to a diagram that appeared first in the millennial star on January the 15th of 1847, but which you can see in the um, Joseph Smith papers on page 298, uh, where they reproduce the, uh, the same diagram of, um, of the kingdom of God. The only difference being that I have filled in the names on this chart so that you can see where the names go. Now, we get to the point in the history of the world in which after the days of Shem, who was renamed Melchizedek, people fell into iniquity. They fell into iniquity and they lost the birthright. There was no continuation of this. It was broken by an apostasy and it had to be restored again, which ought to give all of us great hope because Abraham sought for this. He sought for a restoration of the kingdom of God. He sought for a restoration of this, which only one man on the earth can hold at a time. Abraham chapter one, verse two, finding there was greater happiness and peace and rest for me, I sought for the blessings of the fathers and the right whereunto I should be ordained to administer the same. Having been myself a follower of righteousness, desiring also to be one who possessed great knowledge and to be a greater follower of righteousness and possess a greater knowledge and to be a father of many nations. 
a prince of peace, desiring to receive instructions and keep the commandments of God, I became a rightful heir, a high priest, holding the right belonging to the fathers. When you are in possession of that, you have no problem asking God and getting an answer. It is the right belonging to the fathers. After a period of apostasy and the break of this line, Abraham received it by adoption. Therefore, this power has the ability to cure the break. This covenant making through God has the ability to restore the family of God even when wicked men kill in order to destroy it. Even when a substitute needs to be made, even when the fathers turn from their righteousness, yet God is able to cause it to persist. And Joseph Smith was doing something which no one else either understood or had the right to perpetuate. In 1836, sacred rites were introduced in the Kirtland Temple. In 1843, different rites were contemplated, even partially celebrated. The new and improved temple rites were to be completed and housed in a new temple, then under construction. A partial endowment was added to the already existing washings and anointings. The expanded rites also contemplated sealing marriages and adoption, or man-to-man sealings, all of which remained ill-defined at the time of Joseph's death. Joseph's original instruction about sealing dealt with connecting the living faithful to the fathers in heaven, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The connection was to be accomplished through adoption sealings, not genealogy. Joseph was connected to the fathers through his priesthood. He and his brother Hiram were to become fathers of all who would live after them. Just read Abraham chapter 1, verse 2. Families were originally organized under Joseph as as the father of the righteous in this dispensation. Accordingly, men were sealed to Joseph Smith as their father and they as his sons. This was referred to as adoption because the family organization was not biological but priestly according to the law of God. As soon as Joseph died, the doctrine began to erode, ultimately replaced by the substitute practice of sealing genealogical lines together in between the original adoptive sealing to Joseph and the current practice of tracking genealogical or biological lines, there was an intermediate step when families were tracked back as far as research permitted, then the line was sealed to Joseph Smith. That practice is now forgotten, certainly no longer practiced by any denomination within Mormonism. When Joseph died, any understanding of the practice of adoption was quickly lost. Joseph died with a clear conscience. Few Mormons since him have done likewise. Somehow, Mormonism has tolerated marital misconduct, adultery, concealing criminal misconduct by lying for the Lord to evade federal investigations, aggregating wealth while neglecting the poor, exercising control to abrogate followers' consciousness, 
or consciences under the claim it is the right of church leaders to do so. It has abandoned adoptions, denounced eternal progression, decanonized lectures on faith without a vote of its members, and concealed church finances. It recently has stretched LDS sustaining into an oath-like obligation binding on us. LDS Mormonism has determined that truth can sometimes be unhelpful to it. These deviations have happened as modern Mormonism yet claims Joseph as its founder. Modern Mormonism isn't. It is something far deviant from the original. And as this Sunstone Conference shows, its deviations are metastasizing. I understand why people of good faith believe all of the propaganda that began upon Joseph's death and are confident that there's truth there. And in fact, the DNC 132, we know something got read to the Nauvoo High Council, and that something that got read dealt with the topic that the current iteration of DNC 132 contains. I'm not denying any of that. Here's the problem. If you start with the beginning, and I... I take the position that uh, whatever was revealed was first revealed in 1829. I think that it came during the translation of Jacob chapter 2, just like reading about baptism in the Book of Mormon. They pray about baptism. John the Baptist appeared. I believe it was Jacob chapter 2 and not the Old Testament translation. In fact, there's, there's plenty of reason to suspect that, but I... So start with 1829 and look at everything that exists up until June the 27th of 1844 and end your inquiry there. Just stop it at that moment and ask yourself, is there any proof? Is there any proof that Joseph was involved in the way that people characterize his involvement? Look, if, if you have an ordinance identified, and DNC 132 identifies an ordinance, it's only one, okay? Um, it's the old cliche. To a man with a hammer, the whole world looks like a nail. If the only ordinance you have is marriage, okay? And that's the mechanism by which you're going to preserve families into eternity. And you want to preserve another family into eternity. How are you going to accomplish that? The only way in which it is possible to do so is through marriage. Sometime, and and understand, it was so late. We're talking a period of a few months. It sometime very late in the process. Joseph Smith began to do adoptions. We don't even have language for what it was that Joseph was doing. Brigham Young attempted to mimic that. In fact, that section that Brigham Young wrote in the Doctrine and Covenants about captains of tens and captains of fifties and captain, substitute the word father because he organized the companies according to adoption principles. 
when, when Brigham Young got through in the valley and he was migrating back and he was going to winter quarters and he encountered John Taylor and Parley Pratt and their company, the reason he blew a gasket the reason why he went back and he wanted to become the president was because he'd organized that company according to the priesthood. And he went back and is ranting and raving. When you read that, it makes no sense at all unless you, you substitute in there the fact that he had organized them in an adopted family and he viewed what Parley Pratt and John Taylor had done as an offense against the priesthood itself. And that's why he wanted to be elected president. And he got himself elected president. And one of the first things he said was he can hardly wait to get back to the Salt Lake Valley and have Parley Pratt and John Taylor confess that they aren't Brigham Young because he's the big dog now. And no one can seal anyone to anything without him and his word alone because he substituted. Almost everyone I know who's a Mormon thinks Joseph Smith was a liar, an adulterer, a dishonest man. I don't. I think Joseph Smith sealed women to him. I, I think from the time that the first realization of what sealing power could be used for rolled out until the earliest reference I can find it is in October of 1843, which was um, eight months before his death there appears to have been one and only one ordinance associated with sealing. And that one and only one ordinance was the marriage covenant. And so using that one and only one ordinance, marriage, didn't mean that what you were trying to achieve was sexual access to other women. It meant you were trying to bring one of the... Um, one of the things I liked about Bushman's book, with all the flaws that it has, Rough Stone Rolling, was his acknowledgement that Joseph Smith seemed to be very sexually modest and very respectful of women and anything but a Lothario, he uses that word, anything but a lustful man. And that what Joseph Smith seemed to want, according to Bushman, and I agree with him on this, was plentitude of family, meaning he wanted to bring everyone into a family together. And so the, the sealing mechanism was the means by which you bring family together, not to commit adultery, but to bind people together through an ordinance that was authoritative that allowed them to pass out of this life into the next life as part and member of a family of God. Covenant and be committed to one another? Is that okay? I mean we've said I'll carry you on my back. Yes. And then you have all those all those statements about how Joseph would manipulate people, promising them and their family salvation in the afterlife if this marriage covenant were entered into. Sounds a whole lot like what you're trying to achieve is sealing people together into a family that will endure into eternity so that they can lay claim on one another. Later come to be known as adoption 
No, that's why he said up until eight months before his death. Beginning in October of 1843, there's a, um, there's a uh, mention made of, um, of a new ordinance that, um, that, that, that never gets mentioned by Joseph until then. And, and beginning in October, he, for the first time, mentions a, a, a different ordinance that might uh, be used. And that, that different ordinance is um, adoption. Different than sealing, you're saying? He's, he's saying that adoption would uh, accomplish the same thing. Um, this is a passing mention. If, if you're picking... If you're picking up on the fact that Joseph Smith was trying to put together the family of God, and you saw that chart that comes out in the was the Millennial Star, where you have God, and then you have the tree of the family, and yeah, but Orson Hyde prepared it, but he did it based upon something that Joseph had been teaching. Okay, now this is 1839, mind you. There's still only one ordinance associated with sealing at this point. It's going to be four more years before the word adoption ever appears in anything that Joseph writes. But listen to this. Thinking in terms of the role Joseph Smith may have occupied, although it was not generally understood at that time, and of what was happening with adoption later on. Think, think about this in terms of covenantal relationships and of what is being assembled as a family of God in order to endure into eternity. Time and experience, however, is the only safe remedy against such evils. Um, um, let me back up. It opens such dreadful field for the avaricious and indolent and corrupt-hearted to prey upon the innocent and virtuous and honest. We have reason to believe that many things were introduced among the saints before God had signified the times, and notwithstanding the principles and plans may have been good, yet aspiring men, in other words, men who had not the substance of godliness about them, perhaps undertook to handle edged tools, Children, you know, are fond of tools while they are not yet able to use them. Time and experience, however, is the only safe remedy against such evils. There are many teachers, but perhaps not many fathers. There are times coming when God will signify many things which are expedient for the well-being of the saints. But the times have not yet come, but will come as fast as there can be found place and receptions for them. I hesitated on receptions because it's spelled R-E-S-E-P-T-I-O-N-S. Mark Twain said he didn't have any respect for a man that could only spell a word one way. Can you, can you tell us where you're from? <laughs> uh, page 396 and 397 of the documents, volume 6 of the Joseph Smith papers. Yeah, so there are many teachers. 
but there aren't many fathers. And the challenge was to put people into a position in which you, you have this, this family of God reconstituted on earth. And Joseph was aimed in that direction. And it was 1839. But you have one tool and only one tool. The foregoing excerpts are taken from Denver's fireside talk on plural marriage given in Sandy, Utah on March 22, 2015. The presentation of Denver's paper entitled Was There an Original? given at the Sunstone Symposium on July 29, 2016. And his fireside talk entitled Cursed, Denied Priesthood given in Sandy, Utah on January 7, 2018. For information about upcoming Christian fellowship conferences, meetings, and events, please visit restorationarchives.com. There you will also find a complete collection of Denver's talks, lectures, and papers, available to download free of charge. You can request baptism by visiting bornofwater.org. If you have questions or ideas for topics that you would like to have covered in this podcast, please submit them for consideration to questions at denversnufferpodcast.com. This podcast is a volunteer effort produced under the direction of Denver Snuffer. We hope you'll share it with everyone interested in learning more about Christ, the coming Zion, and the restoration of authentic Christianity now underway in our time.